is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. But And we are here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Alyssa just got into a fist fight with her with microphone. Mic. And guess who's not here? Selena's not here. Selena's not here, which means we can talk about alcohol and booze. She's and in alcohol. Paris. Yeah, right? She's in Paris. Meanwhile, when we want to take a, a Sunday off because we have things to do, she goes, no, you can't miss a show. Selena's in Paris. This is not even a part of her summer vacation tour. She's in Paris right now, hanging out with a French guy named Garçon, eating cheese, and probably pronouncing she's, French words badly. She's pulling a Jay-Z, huh? Yeah, right? <laughs> But anyways, guys, if you are just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you're on Ustream, you're looking at me in my I Am Culture hoodie. That is a cool hoodie, I know, and you cannot have it because it is mine. And we have a huge show prepared for you for this Sunday. And if you have never tuned into the show before, I don't know what to tell you because I don't feel like explaining what we do. <laughs> That's way too much work, but well, I'm here I with. think what we do is we talk about politics, social issues, current events, all kinds of stuff that, you know, we feel is relevant to need to talk about. And uh, today we actually have a really great show coming up because we're going to be talking about an issue that uh, is never been talked about on this show before, which is the issue of bathrooms. Peeing. So peeing. Peeing. And yes. where you pee and where you should be allowed to pee. Preferably I like to pee on trees. Um, and and uh, the differences in, in, you know, where you can pee depending on where you live. Wait, what? I know. What? It sounds crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, and like you said, like, are we really talking about bathrooms? Yeah. But apparently we are because it's a real issue. Yes. Um, and so we also, we're also going to be talking about voting and whether you should have to vote. So I don't think people should be forced to vote because people are stupid. And if forced to vote, they may vote for, I don't know, Sonic the Hedgehog as president of the United States. And I love Sonic as a video game, but I just don't believe in his socialist views. So I can't support that. But anyways, guys, did we introduce ourselves? I am Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer on the PC ones and twos. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on Instagram at DarkSkinSwindle or on Facebook at Do Not Add Me. I don't want to be your friend. And this is Alyssa. Go ahead. <laughs> and I'm Alyssa Fuchs. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs or at Paul Preposterous or Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous for the fan page. Oh, and we forgot to mention that mm -hmm. on top of the fact uh, that we're doing talking about bathrooms and yeah. voting, we're also going to be talking about the death penalty and about a proposal in Utah to reinstate the firing squad. What? Um, yeah. So here's my, here's my thing about the death penalty. No. No. I don't understand how we can live in a country where people claim to be so religious and I love God and Jesus and God is the only one who can answer things. And then these same people try to play God. Well, you know, that's an interesting issue, and it's not going to be the focus of the quickie today because I'm going to speak specifically about the firing squad. And it's actually something that the governor mentioned when he was asked whether or not he would, uh, you know, be signing the law. Yeah. And he told reporters the debate is really, and this is a quote, the debate is really more than just the firing squad. It should um, it's should we have capital punishment or not. But that's yeah. not really the debate that I'm going to be discussing today. We've definitely had that discussion before. Yeah. Um, and we could have that discussion again many times uh, over and over. And people have strong feelings on both sides of that debate. Uh, but the other thing that I should mention, which I was going to wait to bring up, but mm -hmm. since we, uh, you know, you said you don't think that we should mandate, uh, you know, we should have to mandatory vote. And I tend to agree with that. But if I told you that when there is mandatory voting, um, it disproportionately helps the left wing of the two major parties and shifts the vote from the center to the left of center, does that change your mind? No, because people are stupid. And we also have this thing called freedom here. 
And that counts for everything, unless you're black or gay or a well, woman. Well, just to play devil, I agree with you, but just to play devil's advocate, you have freedom here, but that doesn't stop the government from making us do other compulsory things like paying taxes or, or health buying health insurance. Hold on, hold on. Or, say, say this good stuff for the second one, actually. We, know. Know, we are wasting our thoughts, guys. So, anyways, if you want to call in to give questions or comments or curse at us and tell us we suck, well, you can't call in if you want to curse. But, you know, tell us we suck. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212 212-650- Five zero six nine zero three, and I would very much rather, when the show is over, go home, and what I want to do is I want to watch the Mets game. The Mets are playing today. What today? Yeah, of course they're playing. It's spring training. Yeah, no. So I, know, I think I Matt Harvey's pitching today against the Yankees. Actually, oh, I didn't know the Mets were playing the Yankees today. That's yeah. a big good game. Yeah, and then Matt Harvey's pitching, first of all. Well, you know, actually, while we have a few minutes before Mm -hmm. we go into our first segment, so Stanley and I were having a conversation the other day on the phone about sports and about risk based on the fact that a football player, young football player, quit after his rookie season. And I was watching Bill Maher yesterday, the Friday episode of Bill Maher, and he had Bob Costas on, who's a sports announcer, and they were actually discussing the same exact thing that you and I were talking about, about how all sports have risks, but is the risk disproportionately great when it comes to football and about whether or not we should allow children to play tackle football, about whether or not we should um, idolize people who play football. And they actually discuss the differences, but some same conversation you and I were having between the fact that in all sports there's a risk, but in football it's the the risk is not incidental. The risk is intentional. Yeah, the risk is going going to happen. You actually look forward to seeing someone get the crap knocked out of them in football. And no matter what you do to make the game safer, it's still a game in which your job is to like tackle someone to the ground, right, so and, that they and, cannot get to the end zone. So it was interesting that you and I had had that discussion, and um, and then it was uh, Bob Costas was having that discussion, and it is an interesting discussion that people should have. I don't know, but yo, there's so much stuff I want to talk about. I'm trying to save it into the news roundup, but mm, just wait. I got Batman, I got Raven Simone, I got Bill O'Reilly, I got. I don't know about any of those things. You don't know about any. Of, oh my God, yes, there's so many things we got to talk about. And Selena's not here either, so we can talk about whatever we want. That's the best part about this show. When I, you have two filthy alcoholic liberals on a show by ourselves, do you know? What we do, we drink. Uh, we, we are, drink. yeah. You're gonna get us kicked off the show. <laughs> now, we are not drinking. <laughs> Stanley just thinks we're drinking in his head. He's he's fantasizing about the brunch that he's going to have. Yeah, I want to go to Bottomless Brunch. I haven't been to Bottomless Brunch in a month. I went to Bottomless Brunch two weekends ago mm-hmm. on, in the West Village um, at a place called Cuba. Cuba? Yeah, and it was really, really like, good. Is it like Cuban food? Yeah, it's Cuban food. Okay, and um, it was Bottomless Brunch for an hour and a half. And uh-huh. we were just like, Cabarina, 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 Cabarina. You know, speaking of Cubans, I heard that Ted Cruz is going <laughs> to announce that he's going to be running for president. And I got. Wait, so he I can got, run, right? Yeah, he can run. And so this is the fight that I got in this morning on my Facebook page, yeah. which is his mother was born in Delaware, just like the president's mother was born in Hawaii. So just like the president is a natural-born citizen under the law and could run for president, Ted Cruz is also a natural-born citizen under the law and can run for president. And I'm so sick of hearing liberals say this, like... Talking point. Now, it's one thing if you're saying is that a, as it as a joke to kind of mock the Tea Party and yeah. mock the birthers. But some liberals are saying it like really serious. And actually, this is even worse because when I tell them the facts, yeah. people unlike my page because they don't. Apparently, <laughs> liberals also have a problem with the facts. So I've now had three people who I think have probably unlike my page because yeah. they were not happy with the fact that I told them 
I sh- you know, I shoot from the hip. I give you the facts. Well, I thought he was born in Canada. Didn't he renounce his Canadian citizenship? No, he was born in Canada, but that's the um, so under the quick legal thing, which yeah. is under um, what is considered a natural born citizen. You have yeah. to be a natural born citizen to run for president, mm-hmm. but that includes any um, anybody who has at least one parent that was born in America, even if the person was born on foreign soil. Oh. The reason for this is we have military members and politicians and ambassadors that are stationed with their families all over the world, and some. Sometimes somebody can give birth. Like, actually, John McCain was born in Panama. Yeah, Because his dad true. and his parents were down there working on the Panama Canal, contracted by the U.S. Wasn't so, Mitt Romney born in Mexico? Um, I don't know if he was actually born in Mexico, but I know his father. Or was in one, Mexico for yeah, so yeah. as long as you have one parent, at least, it doesn't even have to be both of your parents. If yeah. one of your parents is an American citizen that was that was born here, uh, then you can run for president. You're eligible. Oh, What's the big deal with Obama? All right. Uh, You know what the answer to that is. (laughs) The blackity black black. All right, guys. So we're going on a quick break. When we get back, we'll be talking about the right to pee. Do you have a right to pee? Well, not if you think you have rights because you don't. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. She going hard, right? She loves We well, are back on Let Your well Voice now. Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. Let me be clear that women do not run the world. You know who runs the world? Me. Okay, if you say so. Do not debate me. Don't debate me. I'm always right. Guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. In case you are wondering who you are in the studio with, it is me, Stanley Fritz, and Alyssa, Alyssa Fuchs. And we are holding it down because Selena is in Paris and Jackie got deported. So... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Can, I don't think Jackie can be deported. I, I, I think she's also a natural-born citizen. I don't, Last time I, checked. I don't know, because she lives in Queens, and we all know Queens is not American. Right. Well, you know, Queens is the most diverse place in the whole entire country. I don't agree with diversity. I think diversity is evil, so I don't even <laughs> Diversity <want> to sucks. <laughs> yes, it does. Speaking of people who don't like diversity or things that are different, there are some legislators in different parts of the U.S. who have been passing this, who have been trying to pass this bill that would force people to go to the bathroom that they were, um, that, that applies to the gender they were born in, they were born with. So now, um, for those of you who are scratching your heads like, well, what's the big deal about that? This bill alienates a huge group of Americans who have rights just like us, who maybe they were born as male, but they they do not identify as male anymore. And maybe they don't even look like a man anymore, and vice versa. So this is the trans community who is now being forced with these laws to go to bathrooms that they do not identify with. And with that, there's a new campaign that spurred from it called We Just Need to Pee. And it's people who are going into bathrooms that they're being told they have to go to because it matches the gender they were born with and taking selfies. So you'll see someone who identifies as a woman and, you know, has very feminine features and they're in a men's room and you can tell it's a very uncomfortable situation. It's more than just uncomfortable. It could lead to a situation where people could be sexually assaulted yes. in the bathroom. In fact, um, part of the uh, campaign and you'll see if you saw the Al Jazeera article um, on this and there's been a lot of other articles on this issue as well um, but a lot of the tweets from trans people who are in other bathrooms were saying, like, I have this choice between either going into the wrong bathroom, uh, wrong, quote-unquote, obviously, and breaking the law, um, or I go into the, quote-unquote, right bathroom and I risk being raped or assaulted, etc. So it's really a big issue. And get this, though, because the officials are saying that they're passing this law to protect people. Who the hell are you protecting? Uh, You know, I don't know. I really have no idea. So let me tell you a little bit about these laws. So there's four states that are proposing these laws. That's Minnesota, who is the state where our guest Michael used 
News is from, um, and he's going to be on in just a little while, Kentucky, Florida, Texas, are considering oh. laws, yeah, are you surprised, that would require trans people to use the male or female bathroom based on the sex that they were assigned at birth, not the gender that they outwardly look like or identify as. If lawmakers in these four states were have their way, transgender people would be breaking the law when they use the bathroom of their choice because the laws would make it illegal for an individual of one biological sex to enter a single-sex restroom or a changing room designated for the opposite sex, even if the individual looks like and identifies as a person who belongs there, which is essentially like a papers, please kind of law. Show your, show your papers yeah. before you go in the bathroom. Uh, so let me give you a little more about that. In Minnesota, on March 6th, the Republican Party introduced a bill to, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, protect and provide for the privacy and safety of all students enrolled in public schools and maintain order and dignity in restroom, locker rooms, changing rooms, showers and other facilities where students may be in various states of undress in the presence of others. The Texas bill states that a person who enters a public restroom, shower or changing room for the sex different from the gender established by the individual's chromosomes faces a misdemeanor, a crime punishable what? by up to a year in jail and a fine of $4,000. For taking crap in her own um, bathroom? Right. And if that person repeats uses the quote-unquote wrong bathroom, they would be charged with a felony punishable by up to 180 days in prison and a fine of up to $10,000. In Florida, the bill applies to both public facilities and workplaces and says that gender is defined as biological sex, either male or female at birth, and those who enter a bathroom designed for the opposite gender face a misdemeanor, also a crime, with up to a year in prison and a fine of $1,000. And the Kentucky bill only applies to school facilities, but it's you know says that transgender students whose parents or legal guardian provide written consent to school officials will be provided accommodations, read gender-neutral bathrooms. However, that should, accommodation shall not include the use of the uh, locker room or restroom that is appropriate. Um, and the bill was recently changed. It now um, took out the section that says that there's going to be a punishment for the student, but it says that the school could be fined up to $2,500 if a transgender student uses the quote-unquote wrong bathroom. Wait, the, wait, a student could be fined? No, no, the school could be fined. Oh. Now, you compare that to what the law is here in New York City, and actually, it's the complete opposite. In New York City, we have what's known as a free-to-pee law. The New York City Commission on Human Rights says that these acts that the, these four states are proposing um, would be gender identity discrimination under New York City law and stopping you from using a restroom or other sex segregated facility that matches your gender identity or asking you to provide ID to prove your gender in order to use a restroom would actually violate New York City law. So that's the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, On that note. It's it's such like not a big deal for people to use like opposite bathrooms in New York. It always blows my mind when people make it an issue somewhere else. But then again, it's Texas. And if they could have it their way, slavery would be legal. And and all Spanish people would not be there because, you know, it's Texas. But anyways, to help us make sense of this of this legislation and the people who are being affected by it, we have Michael Hughes on, on the line. He is a husband, a parent to four grown children, and a brother. He is also a blogger, writer, aspiring author, and activist. Michael currently lives in Rochester, Minnesota, and he originally hails from Houston, Texas. I'm sorry, you're from Texas. You probably like it there, so you can make fun of me when you come on here. And he transitioned almost 20 years ago. He is currently working on a book that he hopes will be finished by the fall. And when you finish that book, I'll be the first one to give you my money for that book. Michael, thank you so much for tuning in to Let Your Voice Be Heard and talking to us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, very important question. I ask all of our guests this because we want to make sure we know where they're coming from. So the way you answer this question will dictate how I feel about every single human being in Texas and Minnesota. Are you prepared? <laughs> I think so, yeah. What do you drink with your brunch? What do I, I drink coffee all day long. Wait, is there alcohol in the coffee? 
occasionally. There is on Sundays, especially. Oh, you're my boy, Michael. You see that? That's, like you know, that there's nothing that gets me better than having a little bit of booze in your coffee on a Sunday before noon. Right. Well, at least in New York, it's noon because you yeah. not you can't buy alcohol before noon because Jesus, right? Because Jesus, <laughs> because Jesus. which is apparently the same reason why you can't use the bathroom that you want to use. Because he, what? I well, you know cares. that's that's where these laws are coming from. I have a feeling from I'm, push from the religious right to I, pass these types of laws. So let me be clear. I've read the Old Testament from cover to cover. I've read the New Testament from cover to cover. I've even read the Matrix script from cover to cover. Nowhere in any of those books does it say, thou shall not use bathroom that thou <laughs> wasn't. I don't. Oh, God. All right. My, Michael, help us, please. I don't know what to do anymore. So you are the smart one on, on the show over here. Well, wow, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa is possibly hungover, and we all know I am. No, I'm not hungover sure. this time. Congratulations. So give us some background on this legislation in Minnesota where you are currently living. So in Minnesota, it is directed primarily at the high school level. Um, it's uh, Senate File 1543, and they're looking to take local control away from schools um, you know, that otherwise want to be safe, supportive, and inclusive. Um, so this primarily affects, you know, what they consider cross-gender sports activities. You know, they don't want a, a young trans woman um, who was born biologically male to play on the girls' basketball team, things like that. And then it also applies to school bathrooms and any other segregated facilities. So, so mostly school bathrooms in Minnesota, correct? Correct. How are they going to enforce this? So if you, so say I identify as a, as a woman and right. I go use a women's bathroom. If I if I if I look exactly like a woman, how would they be able to know in the first place? Are they, like- well, the, the scary thing for me with the with the school bathroom issue is, you know, typically unless you're a brand new student day one at school, you know, if you show up at school and you're brand new and no one knows you, uh, you may be okay. But typically, kids, you know, that are transitioning in school are transitioning amongst their peers. So, you know, everyone knows um, the transition. And when you look at the suicide rates, I mean, 47% of trans people attempt suicide. Um, bullying, as we all know, is, you know, a, a huge issue. Um, so for me, this just begs for more of that. Um, and, you know, who knows what would happen with that 47%, you know, when we start ostracizing these youth, you know, at the bathroom level. Um, that's what's scary for me. It's scarier for me the states that are attacking high school kids um, even in states that are attacking the broader trans community. It, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. And it, it really makes me question what these people's priorities are. So, guys, if you're listening and you want to call in with a question, concern, or just want to breathe deeply onto the phone, which I suggest you do not do, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. But you cannot curse. Do not curse. Unless you're on Twitter, you can curse all you want. I love curse words. Let's do this. So we're talking about this law. They're trying to do it in high schools and, and the schools in particular. And what, what I'm what I'm having trouble understanding is what exactly or who exactly are they trying to protect with this law? Because it, that's what they're saying it is. They're trying to protect right. people. Yeah. So, you know, they're, trans people have been using the, the bathroom appropriate for their gender identification for years. Um, so this is just an alarmist tactic. Um, it's just an a, a attack on the trans community because they're, they're fighting a problem that hasn't happened. You know, this is an issue that we don't have. There's not been an issue of trans people attacking people in bathrooms. Um, so that, to me, is what's most insidious about this whole thing. They're getting everyone all alarmed, you know, that trans women are, are looking to rape and molest and do all these horrible things to women and girls in the bathrooms. And, 
You know, I, I had a woman accuse me, you know, I don't want you in the bathroom with my husband looking at him while he's going to the... Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure when you're in the bathroom, you're either A, trying to pee, or B, trying to take a crap fast enough that yeah. no one can smell or notice you. Yeah, and if, if you're if you're tapping at the at the Minnesota airport, then you're probably a politician, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm a married man. I've been married for you know twelve. I don't want to see your husband's junk. You know, it's we're good, we're good. I'm not in there for that reason, which is what kind of for the we just need to pee. That's all I'm in there for. You know, so well, you, you know, you said something. Uh, hi, Michael. It's Alyssa, and um, you know, I really appreciate you coming on today. You said something that I think is really important that we just bring back up and debunk once and for all because when I initially posted the first article about this uh, about your campaign actually which was last week um, I believe or maybe it was actually two weeks ago when Al Jazeera did the piece um, uh, you know a lot of the feedback that I got immediately from the people on the page that I run was very positive they just thought that the campaign was great and that it was really you know it was really great to actually visualize that what this kind of law would do but there was one woman um, who I'll call her a detractor and she claimed to be very liberal although her and I had a huge fight over it and that was her exact point which is that point that you brought up and I think it's something we have to debunk once and for all which is this point of people uh, going into the bathroom to attack other people and her, she said and I'm paraphrasing that not all trans people that you passed essentially but that not all trans people were created equal and that there was some trans people in particular she pointed out trans um, you know people who are born as males who are transitioning to become women that are going into bathrooms and attacking people and sexually assaulting people. And her and I got in a huge fight about it, and I told her that wasn't true. And then she started going off the handle and posting all these crazy articles from, like, right-wing blogs, and I think, like, I don't know, I don't even want to get into where these links were coming from, um, trying to prove this point. And I kept saying, like, this is not happening. You're delusional. I think uh, it's important that we debunk this point. So I'm hoping that you could speak on this for just a second. Absolutely. I've, I've heard the same thing. I'm getting the same arguments. You know, well, I heard such and such happened. And, you know, my Republican senator said that, you know, because you can't, you can't lie on the Internet. You know. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's not happened. I've challenged everyone who's come at me with that same feel, you know, to bring me an article, show me a statistic, you know, bring me something verifiable you know, some kind of report about a trans person having, you know, donned a wig and a purse to go in a bathroom and, and rape a woman. And it's just not happening. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is, they talk about, you know, we're protecting people. Trans women are the most vulnerable. We've had eight, I believe, and correct me if, if you if the number's gone higher and I'm not aware, but I, I believe it's eight trans women, um, primarily trans women of color, murdered since January 1. Um, so if anyone needs protecting, it's trans people. Yeah. <laughs> so. I absolutely agree. And I know Stanley wants to jump in and ask you another question. But even right here in New York City, we're having a huge issue about condoms being used as evidence for prostitution. And they're not going out and targeting like the white sorority girls that live on the Upper East Side and being like, do you have some condoms? You must be prostitutes. They're going right. to places <laughs> where they know that trans people frequent and they're the police. The police department is doing this. People yeah. who are supposed to protect transgender people as well. And they're being targeted by the New York City Police Department, as well as some of the other groups that we've spoke about being targeted for having condoms on them. So, they, it, you know, it's it's really totally to me just goes beyond anything that is appropriate. 
Well, you know, a recent Pew poll showed that only 8% of Americans who responded say they personally know or have known someone who's transgender. So when you look at that, you know, whereas I believe it was 90% of respondents knew someone who was gay, lesbian, or bisexual. So with 8% of the population even having any, you know, FaceTime or one-on-one interaction with a trans person, it's, you know, that's what's so insidious. It's really easy for these conservative lawmakers to get everybody, you know, whipped up into a frenzy um, and terrified at these, you know, mysterious, strange people that they've never met. Well, fear um, cells. So when I go to universities, I just spoke at a high school, and these kids, you know, before I came in, told their teacher, I don't think I want to be there. I'm afraid to be there. You know, can I stay home? You know, and then I talked to them for 45 minutes, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's cool. You know, he's normal. So it's just it's fear, and, and the conservatives are using that fear. Where do, these, where do these things come from? Because we're talking about people who say that they're worried about being sexually assaulted or attacked by trans people in the bathrooms, that these people are dangerous and insidious. Where do these rumors, where, where do these talking points come from? Because they, it seems like there's a big playbook that, that bigger oh, yeah, people can just go to. That's a, and standard, that's a standard response. I mean, even just the, the LGBT community as a whole, you always see these lines drawn between pedophilia and, you know, child molestation and, you know, because it's considered deviant by so many people, so many conservatives, you know, this is a deviant lifestyle to them. Um, and they just don't look at the, the person behind that label and that stereotype. Um, so that, that same, you know, thing coming over to this trans issue with the bathrooms is just we're considered deviants and mentally ill. And uh, even though it was removed um, in the DSM, you know, it's not considered a mental illness, um, but they play on that. Yeah, no, and 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 it's and it's it's really it's silly because it's all about fear, and it comes. I like I said earlier, I think it comes a lot from from unknown, from not really understanding the issues, and even even people within the LGBT community sometimes don't understand the difference between gender, sex, and sexual orientation, which are three distinct and different things. In fact, Vox did a piece on it the other day where they used a gingerbread man to explain the yeah. difference between gender, sex, and uh, sexual orientation. But wait, 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 wait. Hold that thought, because I was going to ask Michael to, to educate me when we came back from our break, and we are getting ready to head in like another minute or so. So let's hold that thought. So, Michael, um, just give you a heads up. I am an idiot, as I think most people have figured out at this point, and I have some questions, and you can tell me to shut the heck up at any point with these questions, but I do have one or two questions when we come back from a break. But before we do, I just want you to, like, for people who are not familiar because they don't know someone who's transgender, who's who's who identifies as trans or they don't like they've never dealt with this issue what is the most problematic thing about legislation like this in minnesota and texas and florida um just further you know ostracizing people that are already you know we're a marginalized group um you know as we talked about you know trans people are murdered left and right um i read a statistic recently it's like once every 29 hours a trans person is physically assaulted in this country. Um, so that's what's most problematic. Instead of trying to fix that, where, you know, we've got these conservative lawmakers, you know, like I said, you know, rallying all their troops, you know, in, in fear. And, you know, that fear, unfortunately, many times turns to, to violence. Um, and so that's extremely problematic with these laws. Um, it's, it's getting people talking about trans people, certainly, but it's getting a, a big number of people talking about trans people and how dangerous we are. And, um, you know, and it, it's, it's just... Uh, if these laws pass, it's, I just see bad things happening. Uh, the, the bad things are just going to go up. 
Thank you so much for that. So, Michael, we are going to go on a quick break. When we get back, we will continue this conversation. So, guys, tune in. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And this is Kanye West playing in the background because he does this all day. Ready? All day, all day. All day, all day. How long you spar? All day, all day. How much time you spent at the mall? WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. All day, all day. How long they keep you in call? All day, all day. And we are back on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I tried to turn that into a song. It did not work. But we are back. And if you just tuned in, it's Stanley and Alyssa. And we are talking about the right to pee because apparently in some states, they want to tell you where you can go pee at. In New York, if you've got to pee, you can go pee. There's been Wherever plenty of times where I've gone to the men's room and there are women in there. And I'm like, hey, go ahead because I've seen that line and I'm not going to fight you. Oh, listen, it. I've gone into the men's room many times. Yes, yeah, so actually, like, some guys got into a fight at Coney Island over at one time where like these, the, the women's bathroom line was really long so these three women came to the men's room to use it and some guy's like hey you can't be here and the guy's like this is a free country they have a right to pee anywhere and then they started debating that was a fight they didn't actually get into a fist fight. they debated about <laughs> just, women's rights well we're getting some comments about this from politically preposterous so just tell you what some people are thinking joyce uh says this is so dumb do these people have <laughs> brothers and sisters did they use separate bathrooms than their siblings growing yes. up yes. and fred Pe- peter said uh essentially some of these people who are who are making these laws, they may be gay, they may be gay, and they may just be afraid that somebody's going to be looking at their pee pee. Seriously, let's talk about that. Why are people so paranoid that they're going to be sexually assaulted by someone? It reminds me of Tom Dubois and um, the Boondocks when he was afraid of going to prison because he thought they were going to rape him. Because, like I said, it's all it goes back, and I think I said it, and Michael said it, but it all goes back to fear, and it's about stirring up the fear in the base. I mean, it's the same sort of reason why they call the president a Kenyan Muslim ape, ape or whatever it is they're calling him yeah. this week. I don't know; it changes every week, <laughs> um, <laughs> and day. say things like tyranny, and you know, it's it's a fear mechanism, and it's a fear of people who are different than us yeah, or yeah. different than them. You know, you're absolutely right, but you know what I've noticed? What well, it's very obvious and evident. There's been a like. In the last 10 to 15 years, the level of tolerance and acceptance to gay and lesbian people in America has grown significantly. But it hasn't grown in the transgender community, unfortunately. And that's what I want to get to because now mainstream makes it it seem like that, you know, gay, gay is not, you know, something you're born with. It's the cool fashion trend. That's what that's what mainstream media makes it seem like now, and obviously we know that these people who you know they 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 are gay and they identify as gay or lesbian. This is not something that they're doing to be cool. This is this is who they are. This right. is their identity. Right. Well, I mean, and as I pointed out before, and I know you're going to ask Michael, so I'm not going to jump in and not. But there's a difference between gender, sex, and sexuality. Yes, and that's exactly what I wanted to get to. Thank you so much, Lisa, for transitioning to that. So for someone like me, who you know I've always identified as male heterosexual, so I guess you would call that gender neutral, gender cis, gender male cis. Yeah. So. I'm sorry, what was that? Cisgender is the term typically used yeah, to, uh, to describe a non-trans person. So. All right, perfect. So now what I'd, what I'd like for you to do for us, Michael, if possible, is to educate us on, on some of these terminologies so that we're making sure that while we're trying to support this movement, we're doing it respectfully and not saying stupid things, which I am known to do all the time. So, <laughs> so you know, I guess... We have a lot of listeners based in Harlem, some older listeners who maybe they're not familiar with the trans community and they don't, you know, they don't understand it or they have some negative connotations from it because of what they've heard or seen from other people within that circle. So I guess what I would say to you, if you feel comfortable sharing what, you know, what led to you, what led you to identify and to transition? 
You know, that's um, that's a question. Every time I speak, uh, do a panel or anything, it always comes up. How did you know you were transgender? I was four, you know, right around that time when we're all figuring out, you know, the difference in boys and girls. And, and I've never been able to put my finger on exactly how I knew. But, you know, at the age of four, I just knew. Um, I knew myself to be a boy. I told my mother I was a boy. You know, it was just such an innate part of who I was. Um, and then I was 28 before I actually did anything about it. Um, but, you know, people do get confused, you know, especially a lot of older people who haven't heard of this. There's people who haven't even heard the word transgender. I get asked on a pretty regular basis, like, what does that even mean? And for those who don't know, but someone who's sex at birth differs from who they know themselves to be on the end. So, well, that's, that's, thank you for sharing that story with us, first of all. And that, that kind of gives me, like, some, better, some more background on it. So now, what I always get tied up on is when talking on these issues, I, I'm not sure, like, the proper terminology of what to say and what it means. So sometimes I'll say transgender, but then I found out that from a friend that transgender means someone who has actually transitioned already. Is that correct? No. So that's where people get confused, which is you shouldn't, you know, somebody who's transitioned is a, is transgender. Yes. And they, but people add the word transgendered, E-D, as oh. if it's in the past tense. And that's incorrect. Oh. Um, but, and then when it comes to terminology, you should refer to somebody as they want to be referred to. As if they want to be referred to in male pronouns, he or him, mm-hmm. then you should. And if somebody wants to be pr- pr- referred to as female pronouns, she or her, then mm-hmm. that's who, how they should be referred to. And if somebody wants to be referred to as a gender neutral pronoun, um, usually that is used as Z, Z-E, um, Z? which is considered to be or, or they or their or pl- right. plurals um, instead. But you you call somebody what they want to be called. I mean, that's I mean, that's assuming that they come out and they tell you their trans to begin with, because yeah. if you were just walking down the street and maybe you met Michael, you would say, hey, how are you? You know, you would you I presume you would say he. Yeah, um, you would not. I'm you not- would, you would not before. say, what do you want me to call you? Because you wouldn't know. And I think that's part of the, the biggest part or point to the campaign, which I think is ye- so much so I've important about the campaign. I've about that actually before because I saw someone who, in, from, my, from my point of view, I thought it was a, a man. So I'm like, hey, bro. And then she said, I'm not a guy. I'm a woman. Why would you call me? But when I, like, she looked just like she... Like well, see, so that's a, that's a, a really important issue that I think we talk, should talk about, about, like, the passing, right? Yes. About, right. you know, like, who's passing and who's not. And it, it really, people get so caught up in how people look and whether or not they're passing as somebody from the other gender. But really, like, we people shouldn't get caught up in it. That's part of the problem. That's part of what I perceive about the problem mm-hmm. is that people are too caught up in what people outwardly look like and they don't focus on the right thing, which is how people want you to, uh, want you to treat them. Yeah. Um, and, like... Like I said, that there's a difference between you know the sex that you're born with and the gender you identify, and we have to treat people with respect and you know identify them at the way they want to be self-identified. What do you think, Michael? You know, as a society, we just have such a strong need to be able to put people in neat little boxes. You know, we want to understand exactly who you are and what you are, um, and if people could just loosen up with that, you know, it doesn't. Why does it matter? I just saw a thing on the internet; it was really cool. So, what to do? If you're out in public and can't figure out someone's gender, don't worry about this. <laughs> you know, why does it matter? Why can't we just treat people, you know, the way they want to be treated, the way we want to be treated? Um, and with a trans person, if you're not sure how they want to be addressed, ask, you know, just don't ever mind if someone respectfully asks me anything about being trans. Um, you know, so, yeah, if you, if you don't know and, and it's appropriate, if you're having a conversation with someone and you're not sure what pronouns they prefer, just ask. 
Thank you for that. I go. You you'd be surprised at how much anxiety I go through. Not like not trying to offend. And I know it sounds ignorant, but I really and I'm like, can I ask? Is it inappropriate? So I just end up just nodding and smiling a lot and looking weird. So <laughs> I'm glad I can ask these questions, Alyssa. All right, and you know, if you're passing somebody on the street, maybe you don't want to go up to them. You know, I don't know you, but hey, how do you identify? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not cool. <laughs> you, you know, if I'm if you're at a business meeting or we're socializing and you're not sure, you know, hey, can I ask you a question? You know, I just want to make sure you know I've got this right, and and I've not met anybody yet who would have a problem. No, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And I think that should just be a standard rule no matter what, whether you're dealing with somebody who's trans or not trans. I mean, like, what do you want to be called? These are simple human things that we use every day in our interactions. And, you know, we have to get away from this idea of, like, us versus them or, like, you know, I mean, people are people. I think that's a big thing, you know. And, and like, not but not to get away from the whole we had this discussion when we talked about Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And I think there definitely should be that distinction drawn because the you know the reason why trans lives matter is because versus the all lives matter kind of hashtag is because we're talking about another group that is historically disenfranchised um criminalized which is even what you're seeing now in these laws um treated with disrespect and it's and and trans lives do matter and they trans people deserve respect and they deserve to as far as i'm concerned go into whichever bathroom they want to go into or that they identify with, All so. lives matter. You're being divisive. Of course, yes. So, <laughs> you know, I, I took the meat for using that hashtag and lives matter. I won't. That's a whole other comment. Um, but you know, I had quite a few people contact me and say, you know, you're co-opting Black Lives Matter. You're trying to take away from that movement, and absolutely not. You know, they're both completely separate issues, but the same. And that we're talking about, like you said, disenfranchised groups of people being attacked. You know, and neither one takes it from the other. I mean, they're both valid. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a little hurtful. I you know, told I was co-opting about, you know, a huge supporter of Black Lives Matter. So. How is that co-opting where we're, we're fighting, we're, we're standing up for issues that are, that are important? And, yes, trans lives do matter. And I think that a lot of people either, A, don't understand it, B, don't acknowledge it, or C, will not respect it. So we have to be very, like, loud and proud and clear and say trans lives matter black lives matter and it's and it's okay to to say that and like to, to highlight something because people have notoriously not respected or acknowledged it so right and that's it is taking away from you know i support the black lives matter movement i've hashtagged it myself but it doesn't speak to what's going on with trans people you know so yeah. they have to look at that as well you know um, i had someone contact me and i won't mention names but i understood them to be a pretty big uh mean in the whole Ferguson issue, basically taught me to cease and desist, you know, using the hashtag. Um, and I for a little while, um, you know, I, I some back and say, you know, sorry, I disagree, you know, and I'm not uh, using it, sorry. So uh, it's upsetting people. Well, we, we, we're having a little trouble hearing you. I'm, I'm, so let's. Um, I think your radio might be on. So turn, please turn it off or turn it turn it down. And once that happens, please tell us about this campaign that you've been the Twitter campaign you've been using the selfie campaign. I think it's pretty cool. I took a picture in the men's room and, and no one looked at me. And then I, I was gonna go in the women's room, but I got scared, so I didn't go. So I took a picture outside the women's room. So tell us about your campaign, what it's meant to do, and the reactions you've gotten so far. So can you hear me better now? Yes, yes. we can. I have a little bit of feedback in my ear, but okay. So when I had been following the Texas and Florida legislation pretty closely, um, and then when I was surprised and disheartened in Minnesota, 
bandwagon and, and came up with the S one fifteen forty three. So um, I saw Bray Carnes in Canada who was doing a campaign and couldn't find anybody here in the States doing it. So uh, literally on a whim, I said, you know, I just want to show these lawmakers, these conservative voters, what this law will look like, you know, if they get their way. Uh, I don't think in most places people want me walking into their women's restroom. So um, that was really the main thing behind it, was just let me show people what it's going to look like. Because I don't know what they're picturing in their head, you know, people who don't pass. I don't even like the term pass. But that's their magic. You know, that they'll be able to tell that I'm born female and I can make people uncomfortable. So um, that was, you know, I get that. Oh, I mean, so Alyssa, have you participated in the campaign at all? Well, no. I mean, I obviously I, I identify. I'm I'm gay, as many of you know who listen to the show. But I happy. I don't identify as trans. Um, I have not participated in the campaign. Although, as somebody who is on the butcher side of um, the I guess lesbian spectrum, I have experienced some discrimination in going into female bathrooms because I identify what? as female. And as you can tell right now from the way I'm dressed, like. Like I'm wearing a men's T-shirt and I'm yeah. wearing men's pants and I'm wearing men's shoes. Um, but, I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm not trans, but sometimes I go into a women's bathroom and I get looks as if I'm not supposed to be in the women's bathroom simply because I'm dressed in male clothing. And yet, you know, I would not feel comfortable going into the men's room. I mean, like I said, not that's not to say I haven't been out at a bar and the women's room has had a long line and I've just oh, gone yeah. into the men's room um, for the purposes of convenience. But on a general basis, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable comfortable going into the men's room. And I think that's the same thing that Michael feels. He wouldn't feel comfortable going into the women's room, nor would it be appropriate for him to be there, despite the fact that his birth certificate may say that he was born female. Yeah. Right. And I'm glad you bring that up because this won't just affect trans people. You know, like you just mentioned, I mean, this would affect, I've met plenty of, you know, women who identify as women. They're perfectly happy being women, but prefer to, you know, express themselves in what society would consider a masculine attire, have a more masculine look, and and it's going to affect them too, you know. I I don't know where we're going to draw the line when we start looking at who looks like they belong in which bathroom. Um, So it's a bigger problem than just the trans community, and I've had a lot of rich friends reach out to me and say, hey, I have problems going to the bathroom, (laughs) you know, how's this going to affect me, and it will affect them. This is just way too much work for people who want to use the bathrooms. People should be lazy like me and just not care about who's right. using what bathrooms. That that would make life we just so need much easier. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that that's the whole point so, is that people just need to pee. So, so Michael, yeah. we, we want to wrap this up, but before we do, we want people to know how they can get learn more information about you, read your work, and get involved in the campaign to let people pee in freeness. Um. Well, you know, obviously Facebook and Twitter. That's where I spend most of my time uh, when when you look at social media. Um, and you can just search the hashtag and find me. But, um, you know, if you want me to shout out my Twitter handle, I certainly can. And that would be at underscore Michael one. Um, so Facebook, is, I believe, Facebook.com slash Michael Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on today with us. We really appreciate having you on and having you tell us about this issue it's, and how important it is and about your campaign. And we thank you for all the hard work we're doing. Um, so just, again, uh, if, if anybody's listening and they have any final questions or comments um, before we end this segment, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. And uh, Stanley? 
Yeah, so thank you so much for that, Alyssa and Michael. Thank you for calling in and sharing your story with us and telling us about this campaign. I don't need to give a closing statement for this. It's very simple. Just let people use the bathroom. Why are you so focused on how people live their lives, especially when it's not affecting you? And by, by passing laws like this, all you do is just remind people that you have a problem with them. It doesn't make any sense. Let's keep it simple. P. And that's it. But anyways, guys, I'm not going to talk your ears off on this because it's just a silly topic overall. But we'll be right back. When we return, it'll be the news roundup. Until then, just enjoy this nice, sweet truffle butter. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. I am dead sexy. And it doesn't matter which bathroom I'm in. (laughs) What if you were in the bathroom, quote unquote, wrong bathroom, and like you were taking a dump and you started singing, I'm sexy and I know it. I don't know. It depends what state you were in. Yeah, right. The cops might come in and like shoot you because you have a weapon, which is the smelly <laughs> crap you're you're taking. But guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on ninety point three FM WHCR, the Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is a two man show. It is Stanley in here. It is Alyssa in here, and we just finished talking about the right to pee with Michael Hughes, who told us about the legislation in Minnesota, Texas, Florida, and whatever other part of the South that is too bigoted to let people live, where they won't let you use a bathroom unless your gender from birth identifies with it. It makes no sense. It's just such a contrast compared to New York, and it's not New York State law, it's New York City law, but you can literally sue a business. Like, if you are at a bar and they were to ask you to see your birth certificate or to see your papers, papers to pee, please, yep. or something like you could, you would legitimately have a lawsuit against them awesome. now uh, versus these other states where not only do you not have a lawsuit against them, this is like the law that politicians are making these laws. But, you know, speaking of other crazy and bigoted laws that are geared at LGBT people, Alabama. Um, <laughs> There's a guy, his name is Matt McLaughlin. He's actually an attorney in California. And I don't know if you know this. In California, if you want to put an initiative on the ballot, then you can just pay to get it on the ballot. And then you can, you know, as long as you get, uh, I guess, like some threshold amount of signatures, I'm not exactly sure of the number, then it can actually stay on the ballot and be voted on. But like anybody can put any provision they want on the ballot. So this California lawyer introduces uh, a new ballot measure that's called the kill, you know, as being dubbed the kill the gays ballot um, wait what uh, yeah i swear and essentially the real <laughs> name of it is the sodomite suppression act Whoa. Um, yeah this is not the onion and it's like not satire this is real um and basically um this guy said that if um you know he said that uh gay people should be put to death under yeah they should be executed and it's, isn't that like hate speech well, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question about whether or not that's that would qualify as hate speech How or as because he's well, so arguably just to play. Uh, I mean, I don't agree with this whatsoever. Yeah. I, I should probably know because uh, like I would be killed under a law like this. But, uh, you know, for the per- <laughs> there's very when we talk about hate speech, hate speech is not. Like you, you have a First Amendment right to be hateful. The issue is not hate speech because hate speech is constitutional. The yeah. issue is whether speech incites violence against other people. Now, what? arguably, this law would incite violence against gay people but by the state, right? Because the but just saying that you want to propose a law that's hateful isn't necessarily doesn't rise to the level of actually inciting violence or like trying to incite fear. Yeah, I know it's weird, but you know we always are. We I know you're looking at me strangely, but like, like for the purposes of the First Amendment, we always err on the side of letting more speech in, even if it's speech we don't like, because there's always this concern that the second we start to censor 
one type of speech, that there's going to be a slippery slope of censoring other types of speech. And, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is you might not like what people have to say, and the First Amendment won't protect them from the consequences that they may face from society based on their uh, their words, yeah. but you know they have a right to say these crazy things. So I have an idea for for a ballot initiative in California as well. It's called "Punch the Guy in the Face Who Came Up with the <laughs> Kill the Gays Ballot Initiative." Well, there's actually right now not a ballot initiative, but the, he's a lawyer, and um, part of being a lawyer is you have to be have good moral character, and you have to be have character and fitness yeah. to be part of the bar. And so there's a huge push right now, and I think there's a Change.org position that's actually asking the California State Bar to disbar him, saying that this is you know that he doesn't have to like gay people and he could personally think that gay people should be killed. But but to file a ballot initiative um, to violate to, to kill gay people would violate his moral character standards under the California rules of professional conduct and professional responsibility and that he should be censured or disbarred. So. Yeah, a, a ballot initiative to kill anyone. or What? Oh, my God. All right, guys. So Is this Uganda? What? Yeah, right. So in case you were wondering why we put the story up, this is the news roundup. This is when we talk about stories like this that piss you off or make you laugh or cry or curse under your breath or flip a table or even punch a baby. Do not punch babies. That's really mean. And if you want to share your stories with us, you can by calling 212-650-6903. And I have a story to share with you. New Hampshire. A bunch of fourth graders proposed a bill to change the state bird to a red-tailed hawk. And they really brought it up to the Hampshire, um, I think House it is that New Hampshire House or Senate. I forget which one it is. Yeah, the House, I believe. But and there was a Republican, um, representative who said that this idea is about as good as abortion. Well, he basically said that the red hawk tears apart the its, oh, yeah, it's, prey. its prey, and so he compared it to an abortion. But the ironic thing is that you know what other bird tears apart its prey? All of them. Well, no, not necessarily true. I mean, yes, but it, no, like in the way that this lawmaker was the describing. The bald eagle. The bald eagle, which yes. is what? They're na- the na- No, no, oh, our national, national bird. bird. Yeah. So the national, the, the bald eagle and the red talon, which is, or the red hawk, which yeah. is the bird that was proposed, um, basically do the same thing. Yeah. So essentially he's also comparing our national bird to that. And he said it would be inappropriate. In fact, he went as far as to say it should be the mascot of Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. But the real inappropriate thing about this is exactly, these are kids that was just inappropriate to, <laughs> to, to do. I mean, and there people have made an argument that, you know, we need to stop with the state birds, state trees, state colors, state bathroom, you know, Whoa. state whatever else. And that may be a valid point that we don't constantly need to name everything. But when you're talking about a bunch of fourth graders, they put together a bill. They came to the state capitol. They were supposed to be getting a lesson in politics. I guess they got a lesson in politics. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nothing ever happens. Yeah. Nothing ever passes because ba- we can't even agree on on naming the state bird. Listen, I hate kids just as much as everyone else, but I would never shoot like shoot a kid's dreams in the face like that man did that day. I don't I don't even know how to deal with that, but I have another story for you of someone who needs to just shut the hell up and never speak again. Raven, I'm not black Simone. So as we all know, she 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 rediscovered her blackness in order to get a role in the show Empire because you know everybody needs to get money. And she was recently on The View. And on The View, they were discussing a, sh- a, sh- a show on Telenuvo, um, I think it was, where the host said that Michelle Obama looks like an ape, but not just any ape, the planet of the apes. And oh, he I was, did hear about that. And he was fired. And they were talking about this on The View. And obviously, people were upset about it. And then Raven Simone said, but did he say it racist-like? Because I heard he voted for her. 
one mistake. And then, of course, people looked at her like she was smoking crack because that doesn't even make sense because Michelle Obama has not run for anything. So what did she vote for? And then, too, she goes, well, you know, Michelle does kind of look like, look like apes because people look like animals sometimes. I look like a bird. What if someone called me Toucan Sam? That is what she said on air. So now we, most of you may know that I already have issues with Raven Simone because she says she doesn't like labels. She's not black. She's American. That's a label. So she denies her blackness, doesn't want to embrace black culture, and then says that Michelle Obama looks like an ape. Who is giving her crack before she goes on air? The same people that are giving Republicans budget their their crack before they co- Republicans oh. crack before they come up with these budgets. This is amazing. So you know, speaking of this budget, yeah, um, Republicans have proposed a new budget. Um, now, let me give you some like context to this. Right now, when you look at the budget from the chart of federal spending, and now we only have from 2014, which was last year, 57% of the budget is the military spending, okay? Now, food and agriculture, which is where you find food stamps, makes up 1% or less than 1% of the budget. But somewhere within that tiny orange little sliver at the bottom of the food stamp program um, is what Republicans blame for our entire budget deficit. For the one point, you know, uh, the the one sliver of the 1% of the entire budget um, that is taken up by people who really need help and they're on food stamps. But according to Republicans, these moochers are the reason why we are in debt, not the 57 percent that we spend on the military. Yeah. So like, and they made these cuts. 11 billion people, no, 11, sorry, billion, 11 million people will be cut from food stamps. Right. And, you know, something like over a million of those people are veterans. So we also have this hip- hypocrisy about, you know, com- the GOP constantly being like veterans, veterans, veterans. Yeah. But yet. You know, I mean, we want, but that's not like we really want to talk about where the money is coming from. Yeah. The out of the budget, right? The like two thirds of the federal budget is made up of three things: Medicare, yeah. Medicaid, yeah. and military. The three yeah. M's. Food stamps doesn't even come into that equation. Yeah. Food stamps makes up like basically nothing out of the budget. Now, yeah. if they want to have a serious conversation about. I hate calling them entitlements because, mm-hmm. you know, the money come you pay for them. The yeah. money gets taken out of your check or you pay the taxes. So, yeah. like, you, you know, you're entitled that, to them in, in the fact that you paid for them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we really want to talk about the budget and what the budget deficit, when we really need to look at figuring out a way to, uh, you know, cut out or reduce the spending on the big things. Um, And part of the way to do that is by, you know, reassessing the budget in a way that makes sense, which is not what's going on now. I mean, you literally have the same budget proposal every single year, every single year. And that doesn't make any sense. People need to look at what's working, what's not. There could be, I mean, uh, conservatives talk about smaller government. You want to hear an idea to save money. There's, we have overlapping agencies, agencies that are doing some of the same things that could actually be, Combined, And that would be a proposal I would be in favor of to minimize the amount of agencies that we have doing overlapping things. But that won't make sense, Alyssa. Why are you always trying to make sense of things? You have to understand something. The people who are in power right now, who are our elected officials, they don't care about making sense. All they care about is money. That's why they do this. This is why even though the biggest portion of your check that goes to taxes goes to defense spending, they want to take away, quote unquote, entitlement funds what my issue with the republican party and actually it's a question for you is so they've been they've had the majority in both house and um and senate for what three four months now uh well since january what yeah. have they accomplished uh you know i you got me 
No, seriously. You have me at hello. I, I, I can't tell you. I mean, not one thing. Um, I mean, but that also depends on how you define accomplishment. And so if you're their base, mm-hmm. you can say, well, they, you know, they passed the Keystone XL bill that now the president vetoed it. But you can say, well, they accomplished that. Or, you know, on the other hand, you could say, well, what they really want to accomplish is nothing getting done. So in that sense that they've accomplished a lot. So that really depends you know, like I say all the time, we look at politics through our own rose-colored glasses, right? Yeah. We all have our own biases when we look at what things are done. So when you look at somebody who doesn't want to see who's coming from the other side and they don't want to see any of the left or the center left's agenda being passed whatsoever, yeah. then when Republicans obstruct that and nothing gets done, they see that as an accomplishment versus – Somebody like you or me who I mean, I'm for bipartisanship. I think there used to be a time in American politics where, you know, there was compromises. And I think that's what politics really is about. It's you don't always get what you want. We have two different ways of thinking in this country about how things should be done. And I think sometimes the best ideas come when the two sides actually get together and figure out how they can take the best ideas from either of their sides and combine them. And and a compromise by its nature, you don't ever get everything that you want. One side gets some of what they want. The other side gets some of what they want. And then some things you don't get that you wanted. That's how compromise works. I'm starting to think that we need it third party well you know this is an interesting debate and argument that i got into with somebody the other day about the third party issue because we started talking about hillary right and what i essentially said was and i and i still believe it which is hillary's not my preferred candidate yeah um i mean there's other people that i would vote for in the primary over her but when it comes down to it when we get to the general election obviously this you know i i i'm a democrat i tend to vote for democrats but i have in the past in local elections voted for Republicans that I think have good ideas. So I'm not necessarily opposed to I, I voting for a Republican, but not any of the crazy Republicans that are in the presidential field right now. I mean, like John Huntsman was somebody that I might have considered. Um, I, yeah, I would have too, actually. I, I mean, I, would, I, don't, I can't say I would have necessarily voted for him, but I at least would have looked into him more and considered him. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm definitely not going to consider somebody like Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz or, um, or Jeb Bush. And, would you consider Rand Paul? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I might consider Rand Paul because I consider myself to be a civil libertarian and I like Rand Paul on some issues. Um, I don't like Rand Paul on all issues, but I don't like the president on all issues. Yeah. So, I mean, you're never going to get what you want. But anyways, the point that I was making about Hillary, which was the way I see it is when Nader ran for president in 2000, he, you know, aside from the the Supreme Court and the Bush v. Gore and the hanging chads and all that kind of nonsense that went on, you know, putting that all aside, there was a big block of liberals that came out and they didn't vote for Gore. They voted for Nader. And I see that as essentially giving a vote to the Republicans because we don't have viable third party candidates. Now, I got into an argument with somebody about this the other day on the page and they said, well, it's people like me who have the mindset, which is when it comes to the general, if you don't vote for Hillary, you're going to throw the election to um, to the Republicans. And I know there's a lot of us that feel that way. And my friend Alan Clifton on Forward Progressives wrote a really great article the other day about how the ages of some of the Supreme Court justices and how there's potentially going to be four openings on the court. And that if a Republican gets elected, that's going to be a Republican that gets to fill four court seats and why it's so important to go out and vote for Hillary if she happens to be the nominee. And she's the nominee, I'm voting for her. Now, we had somebody on, and I can't remember what show it was, but we had somebody on from... um, I think it was fairvote.org. Yeah. Uh, it was a while back. Check out our archive shows and especially check them out now because we're going to be talking about voting coming up in our next segment. Yes, we are. Um, but the 
person we had on was talking about how the reason why we can't have a viable candidate isn't because people don't go out and vote for a third party. Yeah. It's because of the way we vote in general and about the proportion, like how we don't have proportional voting systems like other countries has and uh, have and essentially said, if you look at a country like Germany, they have six legitimate parties that get to compete. Yeah. Look at a country like Israel that just had their election and they have to actually form a coalition government because yeah. you have all these different parties competing against each other and having to come together in order to get anything done. Yeah. And what he said was, it's not just a matter of if you don't, you know, the thinking, like a matter of thinking like, well, people, this mindset that you have to vote for Hillary is the reason why we can't have a viable third party candidate. And yeah. I say, no, the reason why we can't have a viable third party candidate is because of the actual electoral system in which we vote. And so if we really want to have a system like they do in Germany, where they have six parties, like they do in Spain, where they have several parties, we have yeah. to really not just rethink about our mindset. We have to think about the way we vote in general. Yeah. And so that's definitely going to be a lead into something we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Yeah. But we're not there yet. No, we are not there yet. We're still talking about news, guys. If you have news stories you want to share, you can share it with us today. And the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. I want to bring up some very disturbing news that came out earlier in the week. There was a man found hanging from a tree in Alabama. Oh, I did hear about Black this. man. He was yes. missing for two days. They found him hang, hanging on a tree. You know what the first thing they did? What? CNN publishes police reports. He had been arrested once about 20 years ago. That was the first thing because they did. Because that's relevant. So relevant. So now, I was having a conversation on a train with a friend, and I'm bringing this up now because we have time. And she said to me, she goes, Stanley, I think you are racist. And I said, why do you think I'm racist? And she goes, because you're always babbling about Black Lives Matter and how like you're not going to apologize to white people and all this nonsense. And I said, I'm not racist. And I said... You think I'm racist because I'm not going to sit here and like work to make you feel not not make you feel non uncomfortable when we talk about racial issues, because I know you don't like feeling that way. And when I talk about these issues, you feel uncomfortable because you feel like maybe you did something wrong. I'm you think I'm racist because I say Black Lives Matter and I don't have any problem calling out a racist or a system that has notoriously targeted people of color. And you think I'm racist because I see a black guy in the South hanging from a tree. And I think, hmm, I wonder how that happened. And I get upset when they post these criminal records. This is what people need to understand. When you have a group of people who have been notoriously targeted, bigot, have, have been bigot t- thrown towards them, when you've had legislation trying to block them from doing simple things like voting or working or living or having freedom, and then something that seems to like ring true to that, that same old ideology pops up again where we're supposed to have progress, and someone from that group calls it out, it's not called racism. It is called fact. Right. I, and I agree. I, you know, not to go back to the Bill Maher episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people love Bill Maher and some people hate Bill Maher. And I'm kind of tossed up because sometimes I just I totally agree with him. And other times I feel like I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> but I yeah. think like that's that's kind of how it should be yeah. about everybody. You should never just blanket like everything about every person all the time. Yeah. Or unless like, you know, even you're somebody you're married to. You don't like everything that they do yeah. all the time. You want to hit them in the face sometimes. Yeah. Not that you should. You I should never hate, hit anybody. I was going to say we should we should make that very oh, clear. Um, but I mean, the, the the point is people piss you off to the yeah. point where like you can get very angry um, and, and they should 
but Bill Maher was having this conversation the other day, again, on his Friday show, he had on um, about playing the race card. And why is it every time we just want to talk about race and talk about racial issues um, automatically? And he, he was pointing out conservatives, but I don't just think it's conservatives. I think, you know, it's broader than that. Why does everybody automatically default into you're playing the race card? It's not playing the race card to want to have a discussion about race. And actually, that's another big thing that's been in the news this week about the Starbucks campaign. Uh, the CEO of Starbucks came out and said he wants the baristas to have conversations with those people who want to have conversations about yeah. race, and it's called Race to the Top. Race Forward. Race, uh, race Forward, right. Yeah. And now there's been so much blowback on both the left and the right about, yeah. about whether or not it's appropriate for, uh, you know, a company like Starbucks to engage people in a race conversation. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily fair to the employees who don't want to have that conversation, but yeah. I don't think they have to. It's not a job responsibility. I think if you want to, then you can sign up to be a barista that like yeah. has the conversation. But I don't think we should stop people from having – I mean, I think we should encourage people to have conversations about race. I said this last time as yeah. part of our call to action when we did the last show where we were talking about race issues and the fraternity last week. And yeah. I said, I think the most important thing you can do is talk to people about race. Have these conversations with other people. I think what Starbucks messed up at was we're going to have a campaign where we want you to talk about this. I think that it's healthy to have conversations about race and I think we should have these conversations, some very open and honest ones, but I don't think it's a good idea to make that a campaign that now people who you pay to have to do that. Because not everyone is ready to have that conversation and it just doesn't look good. Now, if you want to hold some panels or events that you fund where people can kind of have this conversation, I think that'll, that would have been smarter or just easier to digest. I think people were kind of just turned off in the fact that you're going to be ordering your mochaccino and someone's going to go, so you're black. Tell me about it. Well, I didn't think it was <laughs> supposed to work like that. I thought it was only if you said that you wanted to be part of the conversation. I mean, but who goes to Starbucks and goes, I want to talk about racism? I don't know. Maybe people do. We, you and I want to talk about racial issues all the time. Maybe well, we're at the Starbucks and we want to get the barista involved. Yeah, but like we're good friends, one. And two, we also know where each side is coming from and what our privilege is. I understand my male privilege. You understand your white privilege. And like we just had these kind of conversations. If I'm at Starbucks, I don't know the barista. Right. I just want my green tea. But, guys, we can't, we can't keep talking about this. We do actually have to close out the new segment. When we come back, we'll be talking about voting and whether voting should be mandatory for all people who are in America because America. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And if you are asking me if it's me and Alyssa in the studio holding it down and turning it up, yeah, you guessed it. Woo! You was right. But we are here to talk about mandatory voting. So there are currently, I think, about six countries in the world. Eleven. Eleven. Pardon me. Whoa. You hear, you know, hear that, guys? Eleven countries in the world who participate in national voting. And what I mean by that is that every person in that country is required to vote when they have elections. One of those places is Australia, to be specific, to give you one example of a place. And the President Obama, who has been visiting some countries, he remarked that mandatory voting in America could be transformative. So we decided that this might be a good conversation to talk about because we've had so many issues with voting in America in general. For example, in Minnesota, they are thinking about repealing the, um, the ban on people who have convicted felons. Who have been blocked from voting, so they want to give them a chance to vote again. Funny enough, Minnesota that would actually help more white men than it would black men, which is amazing. Then there's always Texas, where they're trying to stop people from voting if your skin is darker than I don't know a a, a bowl of cream cheese. And then there's also South Carolina, where they're trying to block college students from being able to vote. So in the U.S., while we have 
elected officials trying to stop people from voting. We have other places like Australia where voting is mandatory. Every single person has to do it. And if you don't do it, you go to jail. No, you get fined. No, no you're going to jail. No, I'm kidding. You're right. <laughs> this is right. You you will be fine, which we all know sucks. And the president mentioned this, that this might be transformative. And it's opened up this big whirlwind of conversation with people saying that the president is pushing for socialism or some people saying it might be a good idea and that this, this may cause problems. And we are here to have this conversation and say, will mandatory voting work? So in this country right now, about 40 percent of the people, we have about a 40 percent turnout for most elections. The best turnout we've had in an election, I think, was in 2008. And the turnout was about 67 percent of people came out to vote in these places where turnout is mandatory, you have between 90 and 97% turnout rate. And some places where voting is not mandatory, you still have about an 80% turnout rate, Afghanistan, in voting. So America has one of the lowest turnout ratios for voting in, in all the countries. And we know how divisive our politics are and our issues are, and Americans get frustrated all the time that we cannot accomplish anything, which is why I think the president said it might be transformative. So, Alyssa, since I've been talking everyone's ears off, I'd like to get your point of view on this. How c- could mandatory voting work in the U.S.? Is it an idea you think would, would make sense? Could it work? Yeah, I think it could work. Whether or not we should have it, I know you didn't ask me that question yet, so I actually won't answer that. But could it work? Yeah, I think it could work. In Australia, when they, before they adopted a compulsory voting um, scheme, which they have now, their turnout was about 64.2% average for the nine elections before they had the reform. After they reformed their laws, the average is now about 94.6% of people actually come out and vote. And actually, uh, even more important than that is that they find that now that people have to vote, they go out and inform themselves. So a lot of people bring up the point that a lot of Americans are uninformed. And I'm just going to back this up one second. I haven't told you where I stand yet, and I know we'll get to it. So um, just just say that so that we know going forward that you haven't heard my opinion yet okay. about personally how I feel. But just speaking, num- numerically speaking, um, which is a lot of people have made the argument that we shouldn't have mandatory voting because people are uninformed, that we have all these essentially like dumb people in America. They don't know anything about politics. They don't know anything about policy. They don't know anything about the parties. And so if we were to force everybody in America to vote, then we would have a lot of people who don't really have any interest or, or apathetic or ambivalent towards politics, and that would basically just go out and click a lever. Um, but what they've actually found in a lot of the countries where they've instituted mandatory voting, it, well, and I should say, we have that already, because we have a lot of stupid people that don't understand the politics or the policies that are already going out and voting. But what we're finding is, or they're finding in a lot of the studies they've done is, when people are forced to have to vote, then they actually inform themselves a lot that more. They don't stay uninformed. They don't just go and click the lever. They say, oh, okay, I have to vote, so I maybe should have some idea of who I'm going to vote for. But do these other places have Fox News? Because that's a di- I think that's a big difference. In America, we don't really have a news station, at least a popular news station, that just gives the news objectively. You have Fox News, which which speaks from the, the hyper-right conservative stance. You have MSNBC, which is, I don't know what it's doing anymore, actually, but it was on the left. Then you have CNN, which just talks about missing planes, and Don Levin makes racist and sexist comments. And you have Al Jazeera, which no one watches because they're afraid that there are terrorists on, on there. And you have PBS, which Mitt Romney wants to get rid of. So 
how can you even get the correct news so you can have your re- so you can so you can be a well informed voter? Well, then don't get your information from the TV. Uh, you know, do, do your research on the candidates. There's ways to do research on candidates without listening to the all the noise, to, yeah. or to, you can listen to the noise and then filter out what's correct from what's incorrect. Yeah. But you know, like you go to the candidates' website, you read about their background. Where did they go to school? What kinds of things did they do in their past? Did they serve on student government? Did they volunteer in another country? Did they? I mean. People who are running for office, there's public information available about them, even if you don't know exactly, you know, like if they've been a politician before, then you can look up their legislative record. How have they voted on other issues? But, bro, who, like we, we have that option now and people don't do it. Well, that's the point, which is if people were forced to do it, like, well, that's kind of the point that these things are trying to make, which yeah. is if people were forced to have to vote, then they would say, OK, I don't want to throw my vote away. I have yeah. to do this thing. I don't want to be fined. I don't want to throw my vote away. So I want to know what the F I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> you almost said so, that word. No, no, I know. I was going to say F the whole time. Um, I mean, and, and the one thing that they know from looking at the 11 countries where it's, there's been some other proposals, right, like making Election Day a national holiday yes. or allowing people to vote by mail and what they find is these actually have negative effects on, well, not the mail thing, but yeah. at least national holiday, which is when you tell people they have a day off from work, like a, a like a three-day weekend, I'm then they drunk. go away. They go, they don't, you know, they're like, let me go away. Let me go do this. Um, you know, so they, but what they do know from studies is that compulsory voting, on the other hand, works. It it increases turnout. Under um, Stan- Stanford University, a guy named Simon Jackson, he reviewed the evidence in 2001. He found that compulsory voting, which is usually enforced by either fines or the loss of government benefits, increases turnout with country comparisons, indicates a boost between 7 and 17 percentage points of the turnout. Wow. And the other thing that it does is it makes the electorate more representative of the overall population. So I'll give you an idea. What he says is that in comparative studies of turnout vote, that the relationship between socioeconomic status Status, mm-hmm. And voter turnout weakens as turnout increases. Uh-huh. So what happens is compulsory voting sort of removes socioeconomic differences in electoral, sorry, electoral participation. Quite simply put, when everyone votes, there is there can be no socioeconomic biases because it eliminates this whole demographic base. This demographic base, you yeah. know, my demographic base, your demographic base. It's like no, everybody's comes out right now. Voters, especially in midterm, tend to be whiter, richer, better educated, and older than the country is as a whole. So if you do mandatory voting, you eliminate all of that right off the bat. But if you're doing mandatory voting and everyone is voting, how does that affect the Electoral College? Because how much do you need, like 270 um, votes in the Electoral College, I think it is? Well, I mean, the elect- the way the Electoral College works is different in every state. So oh, th- Because in some states they do an allocation, which is depending on the percentage of the vote you get, you mm-hmm. can they split the Electoral College. So mm-hmm. one candidate could get, you know, let's say your state has four Electoral College votes. Yeah. One candidate, based on the proportion, could get three. So it would be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't change. I, I don't see that changing the calculus. Now, I think we should probably do away with the Electoral College uh, period. If you're doing but, national voting, then yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, just have a popular vote if everybody's voting. Yeah, because if you got rid of the Electoral College, someone could just focus on like the biggest Texas, California, and another big state and win the entire election. Uh, and the other thing about it that's uh, interesting is, you know, people have gotten in this he very, very, very heated debates about voter ID and how it's disenfranchising to certain people. If you were to move to a compulsory voting scheme, yeah. um, then you can do it in a way that the government, the, I mean, because of a poll, the poll tax issue, right? We yeah. can't charge people to vote. So you could do it in a way that 
everybody has to vote, so everybody gets a voter ID. Yeah. And from the government. And now that everybody has a voter ID, then you can just go forward and say, like, part of this compulsory voting law is that you know everybody's going to be everybody's going to be registered, everybody's going to have an ID, yeah. and we're not going to have any issues with even you know because there's always this debate whether like people on the left say voter ID, and I agree with this disenfranchises people of color and and um, poor people, yes. and people on the right say that it's necessary to protect from voter fraud, which and so th- which doesn't happen. But this kind of gets rid of all of that. It yeah. says okay, fine, everybody who's eligible to vote is going to not only is going to ha- be registered, but is going to have to vote, and everybody's going to have the ID. So, you know, ID everybody because they're going to have the ID to be able to vote. All right. So now we know this working in Australia. Where else do we have mandatory voting and how is that working out for them? That's my question. Because you can say that it's working in Australia and Australia is working fine. But what happens when you have it in a country where, I don't know, you like people, the, the literacy rate is not as high. Or they don't have as many like options for elected officials. How has it been working? Because in the U.S., you make mandatory voting, it might get more people out. It might help to change the politics of things. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be something that's effective. And that's what I'm worried about. And even so, how would we even implement that? You know, I don't know how it's been implemented in Australia, so I can't speak to that. But what it's, the Australian experience suggests is that compo- compulsory voting actually disproportionately helps the more left wing of two major political parties. The studies have suggested that Australia's policy has voted, uh, sorry, boosted the vote percentage of the left of center Australian Labor Party mm-hmm. from anywhere from five to seven to ten points. Um, wow. But it's unclear if it would have the same effect um, because research on non-voters in America suggests that they don't differ too much from voters ideologically versus in America, we have big ideologically uh, differences. But the one thing that's important to note about mandatory voting is it doesn't necessarily benefit one party or another. Uh, it would it would by definition mean that more Americans views are represented in government and in particular that of minorities and economically vulnerable people would have more of a voice. But both parties should be competing for that vote. What it yeah. would do is to a situation where rather than being able to ignore somebody because you're like, they're not my base. They're not my base. I don't need to play to them. Everybody's vote would be in play. And so at the end of the day, Republicans might win that competition. Their ideas may win out, but first they would actually have to be a competition. Uh, to begin with, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of obje- objections to this. Um, you know, everything from and that start basically from the objection that people have the freedom not to vote and that we shouldn't make citizens perform actions that they don't want to perform is what it comes down to. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have expressed that. I've heard a lot of feedback about that uh, from people on both the left and the right, how they don't feel for several reasons, but they don't feel that people should be forced into voting. They just don't like the idea of the government mandating people to do things. Dude, we have so many comments and questions and calls about this topic. So we do have someone on the line right now. This is Jay from Baltimore, Maryland. Jay, is it like The Wire? Uh. You know what? There are parts that are, and there are parts that aren't. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hi Jay. I'm gonna hey, check out the one again. I'm good. I'm good. I know Jay. Oh, you know Jay. So yeah. you're popular, Alyssa. Is that what you're saying? I am. I am. So yeah, very popular. <laughs> I don't believe you, Alyssa. Jay, thank you so much for calling in, and please let your voice be heard. Okay, great. Now I want to, you know, preface this, this: I am a classical liberal. I am a Republican, and I will let you know that um, I'm against mandatory voting because of a couple different things. Um, what happens when someone just bases their vote on name recognition? That's kind of how we had Bush in 2000. So there's, there's a lot of things there. Um, you know, Australia's been used as an example. 
that's really not the example to go by. Look at the other countries that mandate, mandate voting. Um, you have Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Mexico, Honduras. Some of these countries are corrupt. So I don't know if mandating voting is necessarily a good thing. I mean, if someone's going to be irresponsible enough to not vote, do you want them to really vote? Well, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, but are we really going to say that these countries are corrupt? Have you not been to America? Do we, like, uh, we have plenty okay, of corrupt you know politics on both sides. Cor- more corruption in some than there are in others. So I don't necessarily want to use Australia as an example because there's a lot more countries that you guys aren't mentioning. Yeah. But the point is, if someone is going to be irresponsible enough to not practice their vote, mm-hmm. then can we really trust them to vote? No, you you make a really good point. You, that's a very good point, and it's a point that liberals agree with conservatives on. In fact, I have a comment that we are getting on politically preposterous from a guy named Mark Cook, who totally agrees with Jay's position. He says I'm about as liberal as they come, and I think this is a terrible idea. Forcing uninformed citizens to vote will not get us the results we want. We need to find a way to get more people involved with their political environment, especially younger people, and get them out and get them to be informed and to vote. Just no matter which party they want to vote for, as long as they uh, want to be informed and they want to go out and they want. To vote, and he would agree with Jay completely that this mandatory voting idea is a bad one. I don't know because people make uninformed votes now. That's how the Republicans keep winning. They, they're making votes that make no sense to the issues that matter to them or that will affect them. And you, you know what, my friend? You might end up getting more of those same votes. Oh, dear God. So think about, be careful what you wish for. This is true. That's definitely a great point. Thank you so much, Jay, for calling in. We really appreciate yeah. your comments. Jay, you were the man. Eat some brunch and drink some alcohol at that brunch, or all doesn't count as brunch. And if you guys are calling, please keep calling. We will keep on taking your calls. Alyssa, give us some more comments on politically preposterous. Um, we have Kathy McLean saying, I don't think mandatory anything is the answer. People tend to fight what they're forced to do. I would be much more in favor of an automatic registration on your 18th birthday, um, sort of like the draft, except you would still get a choice as to whether or not you actually have to go to the polls. You would just be registered. Uh, Debbie says, I think everyone should vote. However, I would be in favor of an automatic voter registration in order to make it easy. And why can't we change the voting day to a Saturday instead of a Tuesday? I know that doesn't solve all the problems, but I feel that it would make progress. Um, We're getting other comments. I would like to see three days for voting, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, Chris Sleen says, I don't think it's the answer, but we should at least have the discussion as a nation. Um, uh, Teresa says, anyone with a half a brain would be voting. Somebody else says, Sarah says, how about we get rid of registration and every citizen is automatically registered as of their 18th birthday? Well, hold, hold, hold some of those comments, listen, because we do have to go on break and we have a call on the line. So, guys, we'll be right back. And when we return, we'll be talking about voting. We'll be taking comments. We'll be taking calls. And until then, you can enjoy this nice little drip drop that I got to play again because I love this song. Empire. Going hard, right? Tune in to What's Going On Sundays, 3 p.m. to 4.30 with your girl Steph. I love sports. I like to talk about everything, knockouts, big shots, game seven, and game-changing plays. You need heart to win. Yes, heart. You'll think twice about everything you hear or see after my take. Why? Because I'm changing the game. What's going on? I'll tell you. Sundays. 3 p.m. to 4.30 on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. 
Why don't we have brunch at noon? Why don't we have brunch at noon? <laughs> you Co- know, fu- so funny story, uh, real quick. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, I was friends with a bunch of kids who I still talk to today um, as adults. And we used to do parodies of songs. We used to do like Weird Al of songs, so, like all the small things like... Uh, that was like really popular when I was in eighth grade, like the Goo Goo Dolls. I just remember we always used to parody songs and like come up with different lyrics for them. So that's how I came up with the uh, why don't we have brunch at noon thing. You know what? You are a woman who has many hats and many tricks, and I don't like that crap. So you cut it out right now or I'm suing you. We Jack are, of all trades, that's master right. of all of them. Jack of, yeah, I'm not going to say that. But guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, it is now mandatory to vote. No, I'm just kidding. It is not mandatory. But the president, President Barack J. Kwan, say Kwan Hussein, um, Tashik Obama, whose mixtape is coming out next week called I Preside in the Trap, said that national voting would be transformative, which in other words means that he wants to give black people gifts. So we're talking about mandatory voting because we don't want black people having any kind of gifts at all because black. And we've had some really great callers and some really great comments. And we have a caller on the line right now. His name is Sean, and he is from the Bronx. Sean from the Bronx, I'm very sorry because we know the Bronx is not awesome. Let your voice be heard. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I just wanted to say that. I Because I see a lot of people, when, when it's issues brought up, it's something that, you know, they don't want people who are uninformed or just, you know, like not smart or have that intelligence level, you know, voting. Which, but I think that's, you know, I think that takes away from the, the vote supposed to be. It's supposed to be representative. And these people, whether you like it or not, they're part of this country and they represent a part of this country. It's not. And they, their voices do matter and they should be heard. Well, I mean, why are you being so all-inclusive for? I don't think people should matter. First of all, Sean, you think people are important? I disagree. I think alcohol is important, particularly whiskey, bourbon whiskey. So Somebody come get uh, Stanley. He needs to go to AA meeting. <laughs> So, Sean, like, so you're saying is that you would be for national voting? Yes, I would be. Oh. Well, you know, Ken, I have a comment from a Kelly Curtis who would agree with Sean. She says that Australia has mandatory voting, and they found that everyone from 20 to 60 has had a basic understanding of the leaders and the parties and the issues. Please consider that if we had mandatory voting, people would, in fact, step up. That's, I mean, that's a hope. And I want to read some comments we have on face on our Facebook fan page as well. And this comment comes from Kevin Carter. When we ask, do you think if voting should be mandatory? He goes, yes, only because it would ensure that the very people that voter fraud, quote, laws were put in place in order to block their vote could fairly vote. By the way, voter fraud is a fallacy. Since 2000, in every election nationally and statewide, there have been 20 cases of suspected voter fraud. Half of them were clerical errors by poll workers. One case was a GOP candidate that voted for himself several times. And that's from Kevin Carter, Kahara, pardon me. So, Kevin Kahara, thank you so much for sharing your comments on our fan page. And please keep doing things like that as well. Here's my thing, because I feel like I haven't really come out whether I want to, you know, I I agree with this or not. You know, I think you can tell from my rhetoric. In theory, I think national voting is a great idea because, like Sean said, even people who are stupid need to be representative. And, you know, like, so they had to have their chance to speak. And 
So if we're going to be a place that represents every single person, we have to let everybody have the opportunity to vote, even if they don't like it. Alyssa? Yeah, and, you know, in some ways I agree with that. But, you know, and it's it's interesting, right, because I talked before about biases and about looking through things through your rose-colored glasses. So um, where Jay and I actually, our politics sort of overlap is that I'm sort of a civil libertarian. I don't like the idea of the government really forcing you to do anything. Now, I also understand that there are things that, you know, the government does tell us that we should do that I actually think the government should tell us that we should do. Um, I mean, like, I understand, like, nobody likes paying taxes, but when I, you you know, when I see what my things my taxes go to, I'm okay with it. It's a collective action problem. Like, you know, nobody wants to pay taxes, but we all do it for the greater good of society. Nobody wants to serve on a jury. Um, but, I mean, as a lawyer, we need jurors. I mean, I, what would we do if people said, no, I'm objecting, I'm not going to serve on a jury? So on one hand, uh, you know, I don't like the idea because I just don't think the government should force people to vote. If you don't want to vote, that's a vote in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, um, or, But the other thing that you could say is, well, maybe we have a box that says abstaining, that you have to show up, but you can still check the box that says you're abstaining from voting. Hmm, that's, that's an interesting idea. So we do have another caller on the line, one of our favorite callers, Miss Deborah, about to give us some knowledge. Hit us. Hi. I think that we need to do more research on that. I, I'm not going to say that we shouldn't we shouldn't all be able to vote, but when people say that certain people should not be able to vote because they're they're poor and uninformed or things like that, I hear a lot of people on the radio, and they're supposedly the ones that are really up on top of things, and they are so stupid <laughs> it, it makes your head swim. I can't sure. even believe that these are some of the same people who come from people who told us that we were not able to vote. I, I really, so I, I think that we should really, you know, uh, educate the United States about things. Because, I mean, like, even when you're voting for a judge, most people don't even pay attention to that. Yes. You are they absolutely right. They don't read, you know what I mean? And, and, and many people, most of the people are black people or people of color, and they're standing there in front of a judge, and they don't even know about these people. Judge putting them behind bars and they voted for that judge. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe it's, in, you know, it, it would be maybe he, if he would talk to the people and he would say that it's really important that, you know, you become more, you know, informed yeah. before, you know, doing that. Because he's like, you know what he's like? He's like the person, he's like the uncle that everybody hates. <laughs> and he could be giving you a, a billion dollars apiece. But a lot of most of white America would say, "Keep your billion dollars. We don't want it." Yeah. I mean, he, they are just that crazy. <laughs> so you you know what keep, I mean? Keep so your black billion dollars. He could be he could be running a, he could be running a game because he knows that they're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, but that's he does things like that all the time. So that's a good yes, point. Yes, he does. So thank. And by the way, thank you so much for calling him, Ms. Deborah. <laughs> we love hearing from you. But you know, she she brings a good point that well. We know that he doesn't think this is going to happen because the he's, yeah, because he's black yeah. and you know black stuff. But how would this even work in America? How would we begin that process to like to get it into law and have people follow it? How do you enforce it? Uh, well, you enforce it through a fine, which no. is the same way you enforce it through force not buying health insurance. No, no, no. I mean, I would, like, how would you like start? So you write the bill, how, like the bill becomes a law, and then now it's a law, and everyone has to vote. And then at the next election, 
How do you implement it? Yes. Well, I mean, the, I would think it, it would have to be implemented through the states because a lot of people don't realize about voting is that voting, it goes through the states. Yeah. I mean, all the, almost all voter registration is done mm-hmm. at the state level. So that would be one thing, which is to do it, you know, to pass the law that says that states have to go about it. Yeah. Um, but then we have also that also leads to similar issues that you're seeing right now with Obamacare about yes. whether the federal government can dictate to the states or not. Yeah. So the other thing is to just, you know, pass a national law. Which is, you know, is to take back the national, the federal government taking mm-hmm. back the power completely from the states and the federal government saying, we're just going to redo our entire voting system completely. And, you know, everybody is going to be, regi- you know, where the federal government is going to register everybody. And, you know, the federal government, rather than having people have to come and register, adopting some kind of scheme with automatic registration for anybody who's a citizen, uh, you know, like they can do that through Social Security numbers and issue voter cards. But then, obviously, if you're somebody who's really conservative and you're worried about privacy issues or even somebody who's liberal and worried about privacy issues like I am, then there becomes additional issues with privacy and and national ID cards. And, um, you know, I mean, essentially everybody has a national identification number already. It's called your Social Security number. Here's what I find problematic about this thing. So we already saw what was happening in Ferguson where they were targeting people of color with tickets and fines to make up for windfalls in their budget. And we know that it's a town in Michigan where there are 500 black people and they arrested six, 2,500 black people in the town. In a town that's 500 black people, they arrested 2,500 black people and they fined these people. What happens when you have a town like Ferguson, Missouri or somewhere in Alabama or even in New York City, Staten Island or Brooklyn where you start using this voting thing in the fine to take advantage of people of color? Well, because you wouldn't be able to because it would only be the federal government that could enforce the fine through the IRS. So it wouldn't, you know, it's just like it, like with Obamacare, right? Yeah. It's not the police department's not coming around and arresting you and fining you for not paying your health insurance. Yeah. If you if you didn't get health insurance this year, then you did not get the form in the mail that you file with your taxes to show you have health insurance, and now you're going to get hit with the penalty. It's not a matter of local and state police officers and law enforcement coming around and enforcing this. This is something that's enforced as a civil tax penalty by the IRS. And what about the, the burden of responsibility on the state to make sure people are informed about elections? Because states don't necessarily do a great job letting people know elections well, are happening Well, that's kind now. of how I said that the proposal I think would have to be, if it was to go through, it would have to be something that would be federal, federally government mandated. Yeah. The federal government would essentially have to take back all the power from the states. The federal government can't do a website right. Do you really want to trust them with voting? Well, you know, that's a that's a good point. That sounds like a very conservative point, actually, yeah. which is that people, conservatives generally feel that the federal government is substandard when it comes to running certain things. But I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know because we've never seen anything like this before in America. And it yeah. could actually turn out to run really, really smoothly. And it could turn out, as you point out, to be an absolute disaster where yeah. people show up and they're not registered. But there could always be provisions like provisional ballots and, and, other, and other things that come in. I mean, I'm, I just wanted to read you some other comments that we're getting in on politically preposterous um, on the yes side. Uh, Carrie Cummins says, yes, absolutely. Follow Oregon's lead by automatically registering voters through the DMV since you have to show proof of citizenship at that time. Allow for an opt-out window for a few weeks after registration and have mail-in ballots plus the option of making voting day a national holiday. Voting should be seen as a civic duty. Jury duty is also a civic duty and that's mandatory and can be penalized if you don't show up. Voting should work the same way. Um, uh, Jay, Jay actually had Jay who called in before had actually written on the page and um, he already gave us some of his com- comments um, but he said for several reasons many people don't care about politics people are simply uneducated on issues and how the government worked um, uh, you know he said uh, 
there may be only one um sorry they may only vote for the top name on the ballot mm-hmm. um you know essentially he goes through a litany of things that he thinks that could be that could be issues um if people um if people were mandated to vote. Um, George Dickerson says, great idea. We would truly get a uh, representative government, whereas Tracy Anton says, I think it would create a new problem. People really don't care who wins, uh, but they have to vote anyway, so they're open to the highest bidder um, kind of thing. Um, But on the money and politics issue, in fact, um, the president was quoted as saying that compulsory voting, quote-unquote, may end up being a better strategy in the short term than limiting campaign donations in order to get a more representative government. Because if everybody's voting, then you're not trying to essentially buy a small group of rich white men who you know are going to turn up to the polls for you. Yeah, this is very, very true. But we do have to wrap up this conversation. I think that if you ask us for our conclusion, I don't think either one of us really knows what our answer is for voting. But just in case we do, I'll let you give your last thoughts, Alyssa. Yeah, I mean, the the way I look at it is like the best objection to compulsory voting is that it hinges on people's freedoms, right? I mean, now I, I agree with that. I don't necessarily know if we should have mandatory voting. I think it could work, but I would, uh, you know, I would need to see more details on exactly how we're going to implement it before I could speak on that more. Like, you would actually have to bring me a legislative proposal. But one thing I will say is, in general, any given voter already has very little chance of influencing election. But if nobody voted, the result would be disastrous. We need to... um, This is coming... I'll read this. This is actually a quote from a Vox article, but it sums up what I have to say pretty clearly. He said, we need people to make choices that might not benefit them personally for the system to work. Traditionally, that's been an argument for mandates. It may be worth considering for voting as well. And I think he's right. I think it's worth considering this proposal and for us to continue to have conversations about it. I definitely do think it should be worth considering because we have a whole swath of people who particular elected officials and parties straight up ignore because they know they cannot get their vote and their vote does not matter because they can alienate this vote and just get enough votes from this side or this side or stop these people from voting. They will be okay. And I think the Democratic Party has become spoiled because they know that the Republican Party is so bad that people of color will just naturally will usually support them in droves because the other option is just not okay. And if we had national voting where everyone was forced to vote, I think it would force the hand of both parties who who believe that they can be inactive and do whatever they want. Do I think it's something that we can do in America? No. I just think that we have too many issues over here with passing basic legislation that will help everyone that's not getting accomplished to even health care reform where everyone agreed we needed health care reform. And when the president wrote a bill, when it was single payer, there was a huge problem. So then he did something that some people like, other people didn't, and it's working, but it's not exactly what we needed. We can't have a national voting law, which is made to make some people happy, but doesn't help everyone. And that's what we would end up getting if we got anything at all. So I don't know if that's a great idea. But guys, we're going on a quick break. When we come back, we will be talking about the firing range and why that might be the next death penalty in a certain state. Alyssa will tell you all about it on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I woke up getting ready to talk about the death penalty. Oh, yeah. Which actually, believe it or not, I wrote my law school thesis on the death penalty in Europe. What have you not done? Um, been black. No, I haven't, I haven't yeah, been black. I don't think you can do that. I also have not been a man. Or have you? 
Not that I know of. Okay, cool. Um, Anyways, so let's talk about guns, but not in the way you would think we would be talking about them. (laughs) Um, Because this this segment, this quickie, is not about gun control. It's actually about the firing squad and about Utah, and it's about the death penalty. So last week, uh, lawmakers in Utah approved a bill that would make firing squads, which is, uh, sorry, would make firing squads the state's backup method of execution if lethal injection drugs could not be obtained. Now, um, before we get into why, in fact, Utah is doing this, let's go over the history really quickly about the death penalty and the firing squad in Utah so that you have some context and you have some background. Utah Territory, uh, before it was even a state, was established in 1850. Starting the same year, 1850, Utah began to permit condemned prisoners to choose between hanging and firing squad. Now, in 1955, Utah introduced the electric chair, but it was never used as a method for execution because in 1972, in a case known as Furman versus Georgia, the Supreme Court uh, put a hold on capital punishment. Um, They said that they felt that it was inconsistent with um, where we were in society, and they essentially issued a moratorium on it. That moratorium went on for four years until 1976, where in a follow-up case to Furman, known as Georgia v. Gregg, the Supreme Court reinstated capital punishment in the United States. Um, in 1980, after that, in 19, that was 1976. So four years later, in 1980, lethal injection was introduced in uh, in the United States, and it became the primary method of execution. Um, and it was also the primary method of execution in Utah. However, in Utah, the condemned, those people sentenced to death, could still choose the firing squad up until 2004, when the firing squad was outlawed going forward only. This meant that those who were convicted and placed on death row before 2004 could still choose the firing squad as a method, and a handful of death row prisoners in Utah are still eligible for the firing squad now, but only if they choose it. Uh, You should note that the last person to choose the firing squad was a guy named Ronnie Lee Gardner, who was executed by a firing squad in 2010. Now, this bill, uh, which is known as HB 11, would let the state impose the firing squad against an inmate's will. It would no longer be by choice, and I'm going to explain to you why. So first, let's talk about what the law actually says. The the name of the bill is HB, House Bill 11. It modifies the Utah Code of Criminal Procedure regarding the execution of the death penalty, and it provides that if substances for lethal injection are not available to carry out the death penalty on the date specified uh, by the death warrant for the person to be executed, then the death penalty shall, which means has to be uh, in legal terminology, be carried out by the firing squad. The bill still leaves open the option for those sentenced to death prior to 2004. Um, but right now, the, the law as it's currently written only states that the firing squad is the method of execution if lethal injection is held to be unconstitutional. So there already is a provision that that says if execution by lethal injection is held to be unconstitutional, either in, on its face or as applied, the method of execution will be the firing squad. This bill actually takes this one step further and doesn't say just if the method of execution of lethal injection is found to be unconstitutional, then the use is the firing squad. It says if we can't get the drugs to execute you within 30 days of the date that you're supposed to be executed, then we can use the firing squad to execute you. Oh. Um, and I'm going to tell you why they're pushing this law in a minute, but before I get there, I want to tell you what, what's going to happen next, and then we'll get to the why. I want to end with the why, because I think the why is really important, and you should hear about it last. So the governor has to sign the bill into law, just like any other bill that's becoming a law. Uh, the governor in Utah, his name is Gary Herbert. At first, he came out, he said he was unsure if he would sign it into law, because he said he prefers, and I'm quoting here, the needle to the bullet, uh, meaning he prefers lethal injection over firing squad. But he also said 
that he needs to make sure that his state, Utah, has a backup plan to carry out capital punishment if lethal injection drugs become unavailable. Um, And then actually, in his most recent statements, uh, which came out, uh, I think it was two days ago, he indicated that he would, in fact, sign the law. He said, quote, I'm leaning towards signing it. Uh, He said the debate is really more than just the firing squad. The debate is really whether or not we should have capital punishment or not. Um, So now let's get to the why. Why the firing squad? Well, this debate is happening because there is an ongoing shortage of lethal injection drugs. Um, That has been what's cited by the bill's sponsor. um, And this is actually a fact. A lot of these drugs that are used in executions, pentobarbital or something like that, there's a three-drug cocktail combination that was always used. But a a lot of these drugs are made in Europe. And these European countries, um, I'm sorry, the European companies that manufacture these drugs have said they are no longer comfortable with these drugs being used in America for lethal injection. And so they either stop making them or they refuse to sell them. This has actually created a huge shortage of lethal injection drugs. It's prompted Utah and other states to consider returning to other methods of execution, um, like a gas chamber, firing squad, hanging um, and other one of the proposals I was just reading in Oklahoma the other day, I'm not going to get into is using nitrogen gas. Uh, Well, you know, we have a second, so I'll tell you briefly about that. It's just a a side note, which is nitrogen gas is known to kill people or said to kill people in a very um, non-painful and quick manner. Um, And basically, they cite a story where a guy goes down into a coal mine. There's a lot of nitrogen gas down there. He doesn't you never realize that there's not enough oxygen in the air and you just essentially drop dead and it's quick and painless. Um, And that then somebody else, let's say, goes down to save this person and then they drop dead. And so they are saying that we should use nitrogen chambers um, to execute people because nitrogen is a gas that's found in the air. You know, and it would be easy to get. That's at the Oklahoma proposal. I'm not going to get into detail on the Oklahoma proposal because I don't want to. Why don't we just not kill people? Well, that's that's a bigger debate that yeah. um, that is an ongoing debate about whether or not we should still have capital punishment. And a, a lot of states in this country have actually outlawed it. Um, but just getting back to why the firing squad, um, as I already mentioned, states across the country are really having difficulty obtaining the chemicals for lethal injection because the manufacturers either won't produce them or won't sell them for the purposes of killing somebody. And the other thing is that new drug combinations that have been devised to kind of fill the void, they're under attack. Um, they're under legal attack. Right now, uh, the Supreme Court is going to be reviewing the constitutionality of Oklahoma lethal injection protocol. So I don't know if you remember, but last year there was a botched execution of a guy named Clayton Lockett. Um, They administered him an untested mix of drugs that they had never used before due to the fact they could not get the three drug combination. And people who were there who witnessed the execution said that he was in pain, that it took him a long time to die, that he was mumbling and grumbling. And it was just and so there was a challenge. They went to this, you know, they brought a legal challenge saying that this vi- this drug had, that had never been used before using them violated the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. Now, the Supreme Court is going to be hearing that case, and the Supreme Court could say that they're now outlawing lethal injection using untested drugs. That would leave all of these death penalty states without any other options. So that's really what's going on with Utah with the firing squad proposal is that they're afraid that if the Supreme Court rules that new drug cocktails of lethal injection are unconstitutional, they're going to have no 
method uh, left since they've removed all the other methods of executing people from the books. The last thing that you should know is just the two sides of the argument about the firing squad, which is those who favor the option of the firing squad say it's cheaper because bullets cost less and that trains marksmen offer faster and a more humane death than a drawn out ones that are sometimes seen in inhumane lethal injections that are u- done by drug combinations that we don't know if they work. Yeah. Essentially, their argument is we know a bullet works and we know that the firing squad works and it's quick and it's painless and it's cheaper and we should just it's been tested and we've used it before and we know that it's constitutional so we should just do it. On the other hand, those who are against the firing squad say that uh, it's barbaric, it's archaic and it's inhumane and that it violates the Eighth Amendment. Yeah, I just I'm sad. Why? Well, you know, we're one of the very few countries in the world that still executes people along with, this is a good list, China, Mm -hmm. Iran, Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan, I believe, uh, um, uh, ISIS. Yes. (laughs) So we, you know, know, honestly, you might not like that, but America has something in common with ISIS, which is we execute people. Although the difference is they execute, arguably, they execute people for not doing anything wrong and we execute people for committing crimes, arguably heinous crimes. But in their mind, they see some of the things that they're executing people for as being heinous crimes. So I'm going to go lay down and cry now. So we will be back next week, guys. And when we do turn, come back, Selena will be here again. I can't lock her out next week as well. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for the calls. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'm really sad now. <laughs>